Pachango. doing how's it going what's up how are they hanging uh, i'm out that's it uh lots of ways to say how are you how are you when you teach english as a foreign language one of the things that's confusing to students often is that how are you is a question but you're not expecting an answer how are you how are you how are you no how are you how are you is a question that is also the answer. How are you? How are you? How are you? How are you? Fucking weird language we got here, people. Anyway, this is a Aroma. I'm going to be talking about some films I've seen, some stories I've read, some thoughts I've had, some music I've heard. Unfortunately, for some of you, the music part is going to have to be after the paywall <clears throat> in order to avoid copyright infringement hassle. Uh, one of the things I'm going to be playing is uh, a recording from an album called Lowland Tribes of Ecuador. It was released by Ethnic Folkways Records and recorded by David Blair Stifler. Uh, ben wrote to me and suggested that I try to get David on the podcast, which I would love to do. Um, but I guess he lives in Pennsylvania. Um, but I might try to get in touch with him. In any case, I'm going to play this song. And I just think it would be really funny in one of those weird 2023 through the looking glass ways. If I do get dinged for copyright infringement, on a recording of native people who are among the lowland tribes of Ecuador singing a cappella by a fire someplace. I mean, it's just, things are just incomprehensible sometimes, but sometimes they're not. Here's a tip for you. And I don't think I'm breaking any laws by telling you this. Um, but I watch a fair bit of YouTube videos uh, and if you do as well and uh, you're annoyed by all the ads and the ads in other things, other uh, websites, there's a browser called Brave that I've been using for years. I forget who first told me about it, but it was a long time ago. And Brave has built-in ad blockers. It's built on the Chrome uh, architecture, I believe. So it, it basically works the same as Chrome at, with extensions and, you know, password autofill and saves your credit card information and all this stuff. But it's, it's built with uh, more concern for privacy. So uh, trackers are blocked, cookies, most cookies are blocked. Um, and to be totally honest with you, I'm not sure what the difference is between a cookie and a browser, but shit that gets into your, I mean, a cookie and um, uh, 
tracer, you know, all that kind of stuff that sort of monitors what you're doing and then shoots ads at you based upon what you look at on the, on the internet, all that shit's blocked. And it's pretty cool because what they do is they calculate how much, I forget, how does this work? They do something, it calculates like how much time and money you're saving and it, generates bitcoin or something and then it sends the bitcoin to the websites so that they're actually getting some money from your browsing even though you're not looking at their ads something like that anyway it all happens in the background i don't know uh all i know is that i don't see ads everywhere and it's really nice and sometimes i'll i'll see people complaining about you know there's some controversy about you know tweets appearing next to some neo-nazi ad on twitter or something or or whatever and i don't see any of those ads i forget they're out there i try to make my life as ad free as possible so consider this a public service announcement the brave browser works great i love it nobody's given me any money or anything this is not a sponsored anti-ad ad i'm just telling you because you listen to this and I love you and I want you to have some value from this beyond just um, the yammering and the fascinating guests and whatever else. So check it out. If you're annoyed by ads and you want to filter them out of your life, which I highly recommend for your sanity because those insidious motherfuckers get into your head and twist what you think is real. They really do. They twist reality. They just It's a distortion a reality distortion field that surrounds our consciousness and fills us with ridiculous expectations of what could possibly make us happy, which in the end won't, even if you sacrifice time and money and attention to get it, it won't make you happy. Whatever the fuck it is they're selling to you, the new Tesla X truck. It's not going to make you happy. It's going to have fingerprints all over it right away. Trust me. Uh, Anyway, so the Brave browser. I wanted to mention that to you. And I also wanted to mention that everything on my website is 30% off through the end of the year. Lots of stuff is either selling out now or on the verge of selling out. And I'm not, mom is not planning to reorder. So we'll reorder stuff like, beer koozies and stickers. Um, But I think we're just going to kind of sell the t-shirts until they're gone and and get out of the t-shirt business. Um, So if you would like a Civilized to Death shirt, a 96.9% Bonobo shirt, a Sex at Dawn shirt, or any of the other shirts, um, now's a chance to get them. And I've also got boxes of tangentially reading the book that we put together, I don't know, 250 episodes in of uh, excerpts, sort of edited and condensed conversations with some of the the most uh, interesting and notable guests from the first 250 or so episodes. So if you'd like uh, a book version of the podcast or something you can give to someone as a gift to sort of explain why you listen to this podcast and and what um, value you've you've derived from it Uh, one of those books makes a great gift wonderful gift 
and they're 30% off until the end of the year. So you can go to my website, thatchrisryan.com. You'll see the store tab. Click on that and you'll see all the stuff. And mom will ship it out to you. Internationally, uh, you're better off, if you want that book, you're better off getting it on your local Amazon um, because the shipping from the U.S. to elsewhere is extremely expensive because they're pretty heavy. Um, so that's for U.S. US customers only. All right. Uh, T-shirts go everywhere. That's not a problem. All right. What else did I want to talk to you about? Uh, Amazon. Use my Amazon affiliate link. If you buy stuff on Amazon, don't do it on my account. Don't. I'm not encouraging you necessarily to buy things on Amazon. But if you do and you use the Amazon affiliate link, a uh, little bit kicks back to the podcast. Doesn't come out of your pocket. Comes out of Jeff Bezos's pockets. And uh, he needs some space. He needs to to make some room in his pockets, I think. It's weird. I know being being kind of, well, I'm not really there anymore, but having been vaguely famous is such a weird thing sometimes. I mean, I'm kind of used to it now, but it is really weird. That whole seven degrees of separation that we all have from anyone uh, it's kind of three for me. Um, you know, it's, it's like, I mean, just think about it, Like if you, if you've hung out with Joe Rogan, now you're like one step away from everyone Joe Rogan's hung out with, which is basically everyone. And then, I mean, everyone famous, right? And, and then even if it's Joe Rogan hasn't hung out with them, someone Joe Rogan has hung out, has hung out with, has hung out with them, right? Like Dana White's hung out with, you know, the fucking Sultan of Brunei or something. You know, it's like, it just becomes weird. Like I was writing a, or I was chatting. I was in a chat with a customer service person on Amazon recently. And there's this whole tax bullshit. They're taxing wrong. And anyway, I was in the middle of all that. And I was trying to, trying to explain to the person on the other end, who's probably like some guy in the Philippines or India or something, right? Um, trying to explain the situation and the person was being kind of mm, tetchy with me. And I was thinking like how weird it is. Like, right. I'm like doing customer service with this guy on Amazon. And it's like, if I were that guy, if I were the douchebag, I, I could say, hey, you know, like I'm friends with a guy who knows Jeff Bezos. So could you just fucking take this seriously? You know, like I'm not going to talk to your boss. I'm going to talk to the owner of Amazon, you know, not that I necessarily could, but I do know someone quite, I, you know, I wouldn't say best friends, but I know this guy. I've been in his house, you know, I've... Um, hung out with him who has dinner with Jeff Bezos pretty regularly. That's so fucking weird, you know, because I'm not in that world at all, at all. Like there's no way I'm ever going to have dinner with Jeff Bezos. That's not going to happen. Right. Or Leonardo DiCaprio or Martin Scorsese, right? Like, I'm as far from those people as you are in terms of just normal life. You know, I'm living in a fucking 850 square foot 
cabin in a tiny town in Colorado, uh, an hour away from uh, the nearest Safeway, right? That's my life. Uh, and yet when I, I see people on TV all the time who I've hung out with, right? It's so weird. I, I'm just, you know, I'm watching whatever it is and someone comes up and it's like, oh, that guy, I know that guy, you know, I was watching, what was I watching the other day? I was watching like college football pregame show. Um, and uh, Theo Vaughn was like the celebrity guest. And they're talking about who's going to win the college football games this week. And there's fucking Theo Vaughn there with the sports dudes, right? Like, I've hung out with Theo Vaughn a bunch of times. He's an awesome guy. So weird to just be like, oh, hey, that's Theo sitting there with, you know, Hillary Clinton or whoever, whoever it is. It's just so, it's weird. I don't know. I don't, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm, I'm uh, like humble bragging or something because I'm not, because it has no effect on my life. It's not like I can. I can't use it for anything. There's no actual tangible value, right? I can't like turn to the guy next to me at the bar and say, Hey, I, uh, I've hung out with Theo Vaughn. Like, Oh, great. Whatever. Asshole. Get another drink. You know? Um, I remember one time I was in a bar in Portland. This was back in the day when I was doing Rogan show a lot. I think it, you know, we were doing the shrimp parade thing and, and I, I had never actually seen a UFC fight, but you know, here's Rogan and all these guys and Joe invited me to, you should come to Vegas and, you know, see a fight. Yeah. I never followed up on it. Um, but anyway, it was like, I was in Portland. I didn't really know anybody there. We had just moved there. And, um, there's, some, I think it was one of like one of the big, um, fights with that Irish dude. I forget his name, Colin something who, who was beating everybody up and had a big mouth. And, you know, he was, um, it was one of his early fights and I went to a bar to watch it. What the fuck's his name? Well, this is, I don't know if this is getting old or just, I've always been this way, but I'm noticing more. I can't remember people's names. I see his face perfectly. And you know, I'm talking about the beard and the Eagle feather tattoo on his back. And, um, Anyway, that guy, <laughs> uh, I go to this bar to watch the fight. And after the fight, uh, which lasted all of about 14 seconds, I think it was, he knocked the guy out with his first punch. I'm in the bathroom pissing. There are all these guys in there and they're all talking. And the guy in the urinal next to me is talking to his buddy and he's like, I don't know, man. Rogan seems like a decent dude. And the, his buddy's like, yeah, oh, he seems like he's full of shit. And they're having this whole conversation about what Rogan's like in real life. And I'm standing there with my dick in my hand. And I'm so tempted to just be like, no, you know, you're right. He's a good guy. I, I was hanging out with him on Thursday, you know. But I feel like if I had said that... It, I mean, one, you never talk to a guy who's holding his dick in his hand unless, you know, you know him. You don't never talk to a stranger who's got his dick in his hand. I think that's probably um, some advice you should take to heart um, and I should take to heart. So I didn't say anything. 
because it would have just been, you know, I was thinking one step ahead, like, how's that going to come across? This dude standing here taking a piss, telling these guys, yeah, Joe's a friend of mine. Like, it, it just would have been so weird. So there's no value to it. I can't even say this to anyone except you. <clears throat> but it is a strange thing. And it's it's one of the threads, if I ever get around to doing this podcast, Roma Toma series, about the experience of... Um, you know, being, how old was I in 2010 when Sex at Dawn came out? I was uh, almost 50. So, you know, being a guy in his mid to late 40s when this whole shift took place puts me in a very unique situation, I think, you know, because most people who get any kind of fame, first of all, they really want it. And I never did. I never made any effort at all to become famous. Um, you know, I didn't write Sex at Dawn to be famous. I never imagined that it would result in anything. I didn't even imagine it would get published. I mean, I did imagine it, but I didn't expect it. Um, and if it did get published, I certainly didn't think I would be, you know, doing TED Talks and being invited to fucking Sydney, Australia to speak in the Sydney Opera House, right? That None of that kind of stuff ever occurred to me. Um, and the other thing is, I guess, because people are, you know, who generally people who get famous, they're either born in, a, you know, so-and-so's kid, they're, they're Nepo babies, or... You know, it happens when they're young because that's when they're working really hard for it. And that's when they're beautiful and, you know, their talent comes out and whatever. So I think it's quite unusual for someone to just sort of fuck around until their mid-40s and then suddenly be in that world. So I guess my point is that I feel like my perspective on it is more um appreciative of just how fucking weird it is that it was too late for my personality to form around it you know to incorporate it as being normal i was already formed and so it will always seem and always uh did seem like this is just fucking ridiculous this is not real life here. So that's definitely one of the threads that, um, you know, that I'll be pulling when I do that one way or another. Um, yeah. And, and the sex of Dawn train keeps right on rolling. I I'm talking tomorrow with, um, another production company that wants to talk about doing some kind of a film or a TV series or something, some sort of treatment of sex at dawn and you know it's a weird thing like the first few times this happened i was like yeah this is awesome they're gonna make a movie or i'm gonna host a tv show oh it's gonna be so interesting um and now i've sort of been through this process so many times that i can barely barely get it up to even do a zoom call you know it's just like oh okay here's another 
I mean, and at this point, I don't know how I come across across to these producers, but I, I must be jaded as fuck because, you know, the first thing out of the gate I say to them is like, look, you're like the 20th production company that's come to me with, you know, an idea for this. And you're super excited and, and I appreciate that. And, and, you know, that's wonderful, but I'm not. <laughs> Because this has been a huge waste of time. And that's one of the things people don't think about, uh, about, you know, the whole sort of brush with fame thing is you get approached by so many people who have so many great ideas for how to capitalize on this. I mean, I spent, ah, years, literally, uh, talking with these guys about setting up a dating app for ethically non-monogamous people. And this was like in 2012, maybe like, you know, early when there was just like one, there was like grinder and for gay guys. And there was, I don't know, whatever the first one was for straight people. There were like three or four dating apps. This is before it's saturated with all the different apps that are out there now. And the idea was we were going to set up this dating app for people who were openly non-monogamous. And I mean, I spent so much time in meetings with these guys uh, and it ended up going nowhere. It ended up just imploding after two or three years of dithering around and wasting time. And, you know, I don't know how many fucking hours and hours and hours of meetings with production companies, with, you know, directors, with agents, with, you know, just all these lawyers, all these people who were, you know, so excited about catching this sex at dawn train that was just gonna chug into the fucking distance with gold cars full of gold bars for everybody it was just like you could almost see the dollar signs in people's eyes i remember one of the very first ones i think this is even before the book came out it started this was i don't remember what the connection to this guy was but somehow Somebody who was sort of in my inner circle of friends knew this dude and they were like, oh, you should talk to this guy. He's a friend of mine. He he works with authors and, you know, movie stars and stuff. And, um, uh, and I sent him, so we sent him one of the pre-production um, copies of the book. So this is before the books actually published, they do what they call galleys, which are like, it's a real cheap paperback printed on like newspaper paper. It's not meant to be part of anyone's book collection. It's just, it's like a disposable, super cheap copy that they send out to reviewers. And so as the author, I got, you know, 20 copies or something to, to send to, you know, Dan Savage or, you know, whoever I thought might be uh, interested and so I sent one to this guy and he read it and or maybe, no, it wasn't even a review. It wasn't even at that stage. It was earlier than that because the working title of the book was still, it, we hadn't come up with Sex at Dawn yet. 
the working title was What Darwin Didn't Know About Sex. That, as I wrote the book, that was the working title. And it wasn't until the book was done, pretty much done, that my editor and I, my editor was like, well, you know, we think, they always say that we, even though you're talking to one person, it's always like, well, we think that this is because it's, it's a way to, to browbeat the author and, you know, sort of make the author think that there are 15 experts that all agree. And so for you to disagree would be so unreasonable. Anyway, he said, we, you know, we think that, um, the book, the title is limiting and only, um, you know, people, evolutionary scientists are going to want to read it. I didn't agree. I thought what Darwin didn't know about sex is a pretty cool title, but they disagreed. And so we, uh, we knocked around some ideas and, and I came up with sex at dawn and that won the day. But, um, so at the time when this guy, this LA agent dude, uh, got in touch with me. It was still called what Darwin didn't know about sex. So I sent him the manuscript and he pretended to read it. And I remember this call with him and it was like so many of my experiences in LA. It was so fucking LA that it was like a parody of LA. So many experiences in LA are just so ridiculously cliched that you're like, are you people, do you people not realize that you are the embodiment of the worst cliches about you? You're a caricature of yourselves. I mean, anyway, this guy, uh, he calls me and we're talking about, um, this idea and he's, First of all, he's walking down the street. I'm sure he's got one of those fucking earpieces in, you know, and he's being obnoxious to everybody else that he's walking past. And he's talking to me and he's like, you know, this is a fucking awesome thing. Like, I see a lot of room with this, a lot of room to run. We're going to go with this. All right. Now, so what are you going to, do you have an idea for what you're doing after this book? And I'm like, dude, I haven't even finished this book. I don't know. And he's like, okay, well, here's what I see. I see we a series we copyright this title which i don't even think you can do but anyway he wanted to take control of this title and i was going to write the next book was going to be what einstein doesn't didn't know about physics and then i'm going to do you know what fucking joe dimaggio didn't know about baseball or whatever the fuck it was what martin scorsese doesn't know about film directing that's the career that this guy has for me i'm just going to be the douchebag who talks about what every expert didn't know about the thing they were expert in. Like, are you kidding me? That is, <laughs> there's no world in which that's what's going to happen. Anyway, so he's pitching this idea to me and he's like, and he's so full of enthusiasm and, you know, and bullying enthusiasm, right? Which is a lot of what you run into in this world, in publishing, in LA, whatever. It's all like, no, no, listen to me. I know what's best for you. I know this is going to be amazing. And as we're having this conversation, which wasn't really a conversation, it was just me listening to this guy yelling, 
he arrives in his house and he's like, oh yeah, sorry. And he's opening the door and you hear all the clunk, clunk, clunk and the this, or maybe he was in his car. And so you hear the car and, and he's in that and he's in his house and now it's a little quieter and I'm not hearing all the street noise. And he's still like saying all this ridiculous bullshit to me. And then I hear I hear a woman's voice say something, and then he says, "Mom, I told you I'm on a call." <laughs> the guy lives with his mother. Oh fuck, man! Yeah, that's that's what it's like to be vaguely famous. Ah, uh, all right. So, uh, I think how long have I been talking? I've been talking for almost half an hour. So I'm gonna. I'm going to go, I'm going to cut this off now. Uh, Those of you who are hearing me speak now are listening to the free version, the preview. Thank you for listening. I am going to shift over to the uh, version for paid folks only. I'm going to play that piece of music I mentioned to you, which you can find yourself on YouTube if you're really interested. It's very funky, interesting piece of music. Um, and I'm going to go on and talk about some other stuff, talk about, uh, an amazing short story I just read and, uh, an amazing film that I just watched for the second time, American Beauty. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And, uh, I hope you'll consider chipping in the five bucks a month to get the bonus material and, uh, just sort of, you know, keep the podcast rolling, keep the lights on. Um, but even if if you don't, that's fine. Happy to have you here anyway. Thanks for listening. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day body is an animal doesn't ask for much a little music and a soft touch why don't you let it out to play your heart is in a birdcage singing in your chest you want to shut it up but give it a rest you're gonna die one
gonna take you up in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground